Justice Alito has the opinion of the Court this morning in Case 18-266, Dutra Group versus Batterton. The question in this case is whether punitive damages may be recovered in a maritime case based on a claim of unseaworthiness. Christopher Batterton was injured while working on a vessel near Newport Beach, California. He sued the owner of the ship, claiming that the ship was not seaworthy because a hatch blew open, injuring his hand. And he sought punitive — he sought damages to compensate him for his injury and also punitive damages to punish the owner of the ship. The United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit rejected the owner's argument that punitive damages are not available on claims of unseaworthiness. That decision conflicted with the holdings of other Federal Courts of Appeals, and we granted certiorari to resolve the conflict. The Constitution grants to the Federal Courts the power to hear maritime and admiralty law cases, and when we hear these cases, we sit as a common law court. In other words, we apply and develop the rules of decision case by case based on the centuries of Federal admiralty court decisions that have come before. Once upon a time, the courts had the primary responsibility for developing maritime law, but that is no longer the case. Congress and the states have legislated extensively in this area, and we therefore look primarily to those legislative enactments for guidance in our own maritime decisions. Twice in recent times, we have considered the remedies available to mariners asserting claims under general maritime law, and those decisions provide the principles that we follow today. In Miles v. Apex Maritime Marine Corporation, decided in 1990, we held that our overriding objective in admiralty cases is to create uniformity between the claims available under the general maritime law and the claims created by statute. Later, in a case called Atlantic Sounding Company v. Townsend, decided in 2009, we reaffirmed that objective but acknowledged that the remedies under the general maritime law could depart from those available by statute if there is a long-established tradition in case law supporting the departure. Following the rule of Miles and Atlantic Sounding, we consider the history of the unseaworthiness claim and the remedies available for comparable statutory claims. Unseaworthiness is an old claim, but it did not originally apply to personal injury, like the injury that was suffered by Batterton in this case. Uh, If you can envision an old salt who puts his mark on a contract to go out to sea uh, in the SS Rusty Bucket, what the admiral, what the unseaworthiness claim meant was that when the uh, the sailor sobered up and reported to the ship and saw that it was not very likely to reach its destination, he could say, "I'm not going on board." And if he could show that the vessel was not seaworthiness, he could still uh, he could still collect his uh, wages uh, uh, that acted as a defense. Uh, for failing to uh, live up to his contract. It was only late in the 19th century that the claim evolved to provide damages to mariners injured by the unseaworthy condition of their vessel. Throughout the claim's development, uh, and we have looked at 
all the old cases that the parties have cited to us about unseaworthiness claims, and after examining all of them, we have found no evidence that punitive damages have been awarded previously on a claim for unseaworthiness. Batterton points principally to two cases, the Rolf, which is a Ninth Circuit case from 1924, and the Nottleburn, which is an 1886 case from the District of Oregon, and neither is helpful to his argument. <clears throat> the Rolf involved a claim, uh, involved an award of compensatory damages. Nowhere did the Court discuss a punitive award. The Nottleburn involved punitive damages, but they were awarded on a very different maritime claim, a claim for maintenance and cure, not a claim for unseaworthiness. The lack of punitive damages in traditional maritime law cases is practically dispositive. We cannot sanction a novel damages remedy unless it is required to maintain uniformity with the policies Congress has expressed in legislation. Here we look to the Jones Act, which, like the unseaworthiness claim, provides a remedy to mariners injured while serving on a vessel. The Jones Act does not itself contain substantive provisions. Instead, it extends to mariners the substantive rights provided to railway workers by the Federal Employers Liability Act, the FELA. Prior to the Jones Act passage, this Court had suggested that in FELA cases, punitive damages may not be recovered. And in the years since, the Federal Courts of Appeals have unanimously held that punitive damages are not available under the FELA. Our early discussions of the Jones Act followed the same pattern. Looking to those decisions and to the FELA, the Courts of Appeals have uniformly held that punitive damages are not available under the Jones Act. Batterton argues that these decisions are either inapposite or wrong, but because of the complete absence of historical evidence that punitive damages are a traditional remedy for unseaworthiness, we need not reopen this question of statutory interpretation. Both the history of the claim and a comparison to statutory claims indicate that punitive damages um, are not and ought not to be available for claims of unseaworthiness. Batterton argues that punitive damages are justified on policy grounds, but for reasons explained in our opinion, we are not persuaded. We therefore hold that a mariner may not recover punitive damages on a claim of unseaworthiness. The judgment of the Ninth Circuit is reversed and the case is remanded. Justice Ginsburg has filed a dissenting opinion in which Justices Breyer and Sotomayor join.